Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. The very first class that I ever attended at Fuller Seminary was actually at the Extension campus of Fuller Seminary. And it was a class on the life and thought of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And it was taught by Professor Ray Anderson. Ray Anderson um, would actually go on to be with the Lord only a few years later. And so it was one of the last classes. I think it may have been the last Bonhoeffer class he taught. And he had taught Bonhoeffer classes at Fuller for the better part of 20 some years, I believe. That class, my very first class at seminary, changed my life. Um, I went to seminary thinking I was going to get or, or interested in getting sort of a full theological range of the church and its traditions and, and to learn things that I, I simply wasn't aware of and maybe pick what camp I might be involved in and what theological issue I might agree with or disagree with, kind of figure out maybe where I lined up and, and, uh, and just be introduced to other traditions in, in the Christian faith and other theological viewpoints and things like that. I was excited about book lists and all these kinds of things. When I hit the Bonhoeffer class, I was confronted with someone talking about Jesus and Jesus's demands on me today in a way that caught me off guard. I was a preaching pastor. I was involved in the life of the church, I was an active Christian and in, in all the ways imaginable. But I think I thought I was going to seminary to, to learn in more of an abstract way uh, about theology and about um, different viewpoints and positions and, and kind of bolster some of my understanding of those things. And what that Bonhoeffer class confronted me with so long ago was that I am either a Christian right now showing up for what Jesus is calling me to, for the people that I'm encountering right now at this moment, or I'm not really in this game. I'm not, I'm not really participating in this kind of life that I, that I want to be active in. That Bonhoeffer class changed something in me um, about how I thought about the Lord and how I thought about theology and how I thought about so many things. I say that by way of introduction because I am so pleased to be joined on the podcast today with someone who knows Bonhoeffer much better than I do, someone who's who's a scholar of Bonhoeffer, someone who, is, who has a book forthcoming on Bonhoeffer, um, but also someone that I know through uh, Justin Lee, our good friend of the podcast here, um, and who I've met and had just a beautiful conversation um, with uh, the last time he was in the area. And I'm joined by Mr. Joel Looper. I say Dr. Looper. Can I, can I just say Dr. Looper? Sure, you can say that. I'll, uh, you know, once you once you've uh, gotten to that point, you got to milk it for all you it's worth. Milk right? it. You got to, <laughs> you, 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 you know how that works. <laughs> I, my wife worked at a at a bank for many years, and and she would talk about certain people um, who had notes on their accounts where they demanded to be referred to by the teller. Doctor <laughs> <laughs> I always thought. Yeah, I just, I don't want to be one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to be one of those people either, but. Uh... But I, but I am, Joel, I can't, I can't tell you how, how happy I am to have you on here. Both of you and I, to be we'll get into this a little bit in a moment, but both of you and I are a part of Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute. 
me more as sort of a fan and sort of as a pastor who was just profoundly shaped by Bonhoeffer, you again, more on the side of the, uh, of the scholarship as well. And so, you know, Bonhoeffer is someone that I would want to talk about all the time, anytime. And yet I'm much happier to have someone else talk about Bonhoeffer with me and maybe guide me and my, my thinking through um, some things so that I don't just end up all over the place in no place. Um, so, so Joel, thank you so much for taking the time to be on this podcast. Glad to be here. And what I usually do, especially if it's a first time guest, um, is ask a little bit about the background. So we know up front, you're a PhD. Now, you and I both know what that does and does not mean. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, but it is, it is, it is a part of your, your story is that you have this academic background. Um, you, you are also, though, a, a, a committed Christian. And so I usually want to ask a little bit about background. How did you come to know the Lord? Where, do you, where has your life sort of taken you? What kind of things are you up to? How would you just... Um, get us into a little bit of, of the life and times of, of yeah. Death. Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in rural Michigan and my father was a pastor, um, in a broadly evangelical church, um, community church. And I still, uh, love that tradition. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of good in it. Um, and I think Bonhoeffer, in a number of ways, has enabled me to to grasp the really uh, the really great parts of, of evangelicalism anew. Um, so I went to Taylor University in Indiana, Indiana. Um, and then Gordon Conwell in Massachusetts, um, which is a, a seminary up there. Again, an evangelical school. Um, and then University of Aberdeen in Scotland. And there was a big break there. Um, when I was at Gordon-Conwell, a, uh, a professor who specialized in the theologian Karl Barth told me, um, you know, if you don't do a PhD now, your life is going to get away from you and you'll never do it. You need to do it now. And I said, okay, I guess I'm not going to do it. <laughs> not gonna I'm not doing that that's that's crazy that's a, that's a that's a that's a stupid life trajectory what are you what are you thinking and so um you know I went and taught public school for some years and you know started reading Bonhoeffer I moved to Texas um of all places I'd never been there I got on a plane uh February 1st 2010 and um Came down to Waco. Was there Waco? a woman? What happened? <laughs> nope. I was, well, I was getting away from a woman. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the things that was happening. Fair enough. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's a different story. But, uh, but I, I felt like I was, you know, I felt like God wanted me there. I had good friends, including Justin Lee, already in Texas. Um, he didn't stay there very long, um, but just long enough to get a taste, but it turned out that um, all these Northerners who'd moved down there, they all moved away, and I stayed, got hmm. married. Um, yeah, now I teach part-time uh, at Baylor. Okay, yeah. I'm you, still you, there. You yeah, I, and uh, my wife is an immigration attorney here, um, doing great work for American Gateways, um, and we're part of a, an intentional Christian community here called Hope Fellowship, um, which 
is a, um, a you know, community unlike any that I've encountered. Uh, it's it's a wonderful, you know, they're trying to do really unique things. Yeah. Um, and is it really, Anabaptist tradition? This it is. is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I've, uh, interestingly, um, Bonhoeffer in a number of ways, um, both through Life Together, his book on uh, um, his seminary, a seminary that he helped lead in Finkenwalde, Germany, yeah. um, that that uh, that book was not necessarily the one that drew me toward Christian community. Um, there was other parts of his work and um, other theologians like Stanley Hauerwas and uh, um, and some others who drew me in that direction. But mm-hmm. it's been great. And now um, I'm uh, starting a new venture called it's a magazine, brand new magazine called The Common Politic, uh, thecommonpolitic.com. You can go there. And the purpose of that is to try to bridge some of these um, divides in the church today, specifically political divides, but politics doesn't doesn't just mean national politics. Um, It means ecclesial politics, local politics, um, international politics. And so um, I suppose politics looked at from a theological and scriptural perspective. And I think um, I've come to believe that doing that will allow um, the people who participate in this site to uh, be able to dialogue across this divide. And I really, I really think that Bonhoeffer is in part an inspiration for this because he speaks as someone from outside of our political spectrum. Mm-hmm. He, he wasn't an American evangelical and he definitely wasn't an American liberal. Um, he, was, he was a German Protestant, you know, he's a German Lutheran. Um, and uh, so his um, Christocentric faith, which informed his politics, I think is a great place to start. And I'm hoping that that can um, inform at least some of the discussions that we have in this new magazine. So, so the commonpolitic.com and you ju- this just launched, right? Just up. Yep. January 1st. Yeah. So, so recent stuff and, and yet I love how you just tying the threads of your life together. Cause life is such a, it is such a strange series of sort of decisions we make. Oh man. <laughs> um, but your now your so your PhD you did go for it after having I did uh, <laughs> after running away from Nineveh you returned and and you and you said you went to Aberdeen uh, mm-hmm. for your PhD and and then was your PhD on Bonhoeffer was that was that the it was yeah um, up there in the North Sea it's a it's cold up there although um, as it turned out I didn't spend much time up there at all. Um, I ended up doing a lot of it from, uh, you know, from Waco. And so um, when I wasn't there, uh, my advisor, my supervisor in in British terms, uh, Phil Ziegler, um, who also has a book um, just out, I guess it's, it's a year old now called Militant Grace, which is, uh, if your listeners haven't read it, they should. It's a great book. Um, And uh, he, he's just, he's so organized. Um, he's, he's much more organized than I am. And he was able to direct a dissertation, multiple dissertations, uh, you know, over 
ones and zeros like we're doing right now speaking uh yeah. yeah over the internet and i mean it's a that's a task that's it's difficult but he did it well yeah that's awesome and and so then if we were just getting into bonhoeffer could you sketch for us so let's say people may have heard the name um there was a popular uh biography out <laughs> that 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 transformed him into a American evangelical um, yes. years ago by Eric Metaxas um, about whom <laughs> maybe we should speak another time. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, there, there's a familiarity in the church. I think if we're talking about the evangelical church or the contemporary Christian church that, uh, Oh, he's one of ours, right? Like he's, a, he's one of the good yeah. guys. Like he's, you know, we got Lewis and then I might not be as familiar with him, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we have Bonhoeffer and, um, but he was against say, the Nazis. You yeah. Know. That's, that's yeah, like a I moment mean, we're all interested in and everybody yeah. wants to be against the Nazis. Um, and, and so if, if, and yet, as you said, so, well, he is outside of, of thankfully outside of our, Yes. our stuff in so many ways right and 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 i also see that as, as your sub, the subject of your book forthcoming from baylor university press a very serious press congratulations um Thanks. that is no that is no side <laughs> side press <laughs> um i was very very pleased to see that uh, that you secured that um but he is outside he is he has this different vantage point um and and he grows up in a family that is not even uh, particularly sort of church going or or in the sense that we would think of like some committed christian family he grows up in interesting circumstances as as sort of um having this different vantage point on things and and maybe there you could just maybe just sketch for us a little bit of the story of dietrich bonhoeffer as a way of getting into maybe some of his thought sure that's absolutely right um he he did grow up in a very different environment than um, most American evangelicals or American liberals are likely to grow up in uh, today. He um, grew up in uh, a suburb of Berlin that was very well off. Um, and his father was one of the most preeminent psychologists in Germany at the time, Karl Bonhoeffer. Um, his, uh, his brother, um, Karl Friedrich Bonhoeffer, would become a famous physicist. Um, this is an elite family. Yeah. Um, and so the, uh, the cultural elite that they have a name, um, for, uh, for them in, in Germany or, or did at any rate, the Bildungsbürgertum. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so <laughs> these, they, they, they not only were, were moneyed, um, but they were, they, they were the coastal elite, so right. to speak. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And, so um, th they felt like they had a certain responsibility toward the rest of society. And I think that largely that sort of aristocratic sensibility is where his family's resistance to Adolf Hitler came in. Nice. So Bonhoeffer himself voted for the Catholic Center Party um, and, uh, uh, in, 30, in the 1930 elections. Um, and... Uh, but his, his family were, you know, all, all of them, whether they were believers or not, were against the Nazis. Um, and so this uh, um, uh, belief was not the only, um, I suppose, thread or uh, 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 factor in his resistance um, 
everybody in his family was was against Hitler. So he grew up and his mother was was really um, instrumental in many ways in forming, uh, informing both him and, and his siblings faith. Um, but they didn't go to church. They weren't a church going family. And even when he came to America, um, in uh, so he's in Union Theological Seminary in New York as an exchange student in 1930 and 31. Even there, he didn't go to chapel very often. That wasn't part of his practice. He'd pastored a church for a year in, in Spain. Um, yeah, he, um, he, was, he was only slowly um, coming into the church uh, as, a, as a part of his, his uh, walk, his, you know, his, his own personal life. Um, before that, the, theology was an academic exercise. Um, something that he was pretty um, ambitious about, I suppose, and he was very good at. Um, he'd even written a book on the church, Sanctorum Communio, which is um, Karl Barth called a theological miracle. Right. And yet he, he wasn't going to church, <laughs> which, is, which is interesting. Um, so he's 21. Uh, this is his, his, his first dissertation. That's right. Right, yeah. Yeah, those Germans write two dissertations, which which you you and me we can't uh, <laughs> hard, pass. <laughs> hard pass on that. So, okay, how old is he? So he so he tells his family, okay, I'm going to go study theology. I'm going to become a pastor, and they're more or less uh, okay. As maybe that yeah. is a sophisticated route necessarily of definitely uh, not <laughs> ecology, uh, or of music or these other things that they might be more involved in. Um, so it's a little strange. Um, and yet, yeah. as you say, he's a brilliant mind. He's very good at it, right. As an mm -hmm. academic exercise. Um, and then about how old is he then? So is he still in his twenties then when he is an exchange student over here in that's right. Yeah. Uh, and so he's he's got his he's he's minted, but he is still involved. So he's got his PhD, but he's still going to seminary. And is that because there are this 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 double dissertation expectation as well that he's still a student in that sense? Well, um, not actually. That's that's what's strange about this union program. So he'd already done his habilitation, his second dissertation, okay, and. Um, but yet to get, you know, to do this year abroad, um, I guess he wanted to come to America. Um, he just came as a, as a, um, as a student who wasn't receiving grades. He no, didn't, he's auditing. He's just, a, he, he did. Yeah. He, he didn't need union at all. <laughs> I mean, he had two books out. Right. And so, so this is, this is a bit of a strange situation. Yeah. Um, He's teaching, uh, or he, he's he's a student in Reinhold Niebuhr's classes. And Reinhold Niebuhr is probably the fam most famous theologian, American theologian of the last century. Right. And so Bonhoeffer ha ha has two dissertations to his name. Well, Niebuhr has none, right? <laughs> Niebuhr, Niebuhr has just an MA, which was you know very typical, um, you know, a few generations ago to teach right. with just an MA. Um, and some people still do it very well. Um, so <laughs> that's, it's just interesting that um, Bonhoeffer found himself in that situation. It wasn't the, uh, uh, the rigor, um, at least of 
certain faculty members at Union that uh, raised Bonhoeffer's ire about Union. Um, but um, it, it was in the end, really, that he felt that the gospel wasn't being preached there. And, and he did not, um, he didn't care for Union at all. It's very interesting. Um, well, as you say, it's often framed as he comes over to the States and it's sort of the embarrassing casualness of American yeah. academics, right? That's like, right. And, and the weakness of American students. And like, as you said, a lack of rigor compared to what he's used to in Germany. But as you point out, um, a little more nuance, it, it, it's not necessarily that across the board. It's actually a deeper issue of, of the absence of the gospel in in this place that is meant to form pastors ostensibly right it's that they were doing something else um they were they were yeah really engaging in a different sort of work at union than he thought they should be um they weren't doing theology proper um so yeah niebuhr was was one of the um the worst culprits, I think. Although um, there were there were certain things in his classes that uh, that Bonhoeffer liked. Um, he introduced Bonhoeffer to um, uh, W. E. B. Du Bois and uh, County Cullen and some of these other um, uh, the other figures of the Harlem Renaissance. Um, and so there there was much about Niebuhr that was valuable, but he wasn't doing theology. He was doing something else, and. Um, some of these other folks at Union were doing philosophy of religion. They weren't, but they weren't doing theology. Um, others were doing social work, you know, and they were doing it quite well, but they weren't doing theology. And so uh, theology, just to clarify, isn't some, in, in the way I'm using it and the way Bonhoeffer was using it, um, in these discussions, isn't some kind of abstract, um, like super heady thing. It's just thinking along with the word of God, along with the preached word. That, that's, that's really it. Um, and so that, that's, that's the basic rubber meets the road fact about it. And, and Union just wasn't doing that. No one um, that Bonhoeffer found in the churches in New York and in, in these liberal churches was doing that. Now your, your book, um, a, a Protestantism without reformation. Is that right? Is that the title? Well, actually the, uh, the, so the title is, uh, is changing. It's oh, now, oh, okay. um, yeah. Uh, Bonhoeffer's America Bonhoeffer. land without reformation. Land without reformation. Okay. Yeah. So your focus, though, that as a scholar and for your dissertation and everything else, is this period? Is this period of him? That's right. In the states, yeah. he's not here for that long. But you're 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 seeing through this moment a this outsider's perspective on, as you say, so many interesting things. So many um, maybe things being done well in different areas, just as far as the seminary goes, mm -hmm. but not doing theology, not thinking with scripture, not letting that simple, maybe the more the Bartian sort of disruptive possibilities of the demands of the gospel um, be what we are talking about when we're talking about God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and so and so then that, but that, okay, so that title, Bonhoeffer's America, A Land Without Reformation, what is that? What do you mean by that? A yeah. Land Without Reformation. 
Joel, what are you saying? <laughs> what, are you, what are we? We're, what are, I thought we were what are we? If we're... <laughs> I thought we were heirs of the refer. I thought, we, don't tread on me. I, I'm, don't tell yeah, me. Yeah, what, what else? <laughs> what else are we if we're not protesting, right? We're nothing. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> so what, well, do you, yeah, what do you mean by that? What are, what are you seeing there? Absolutely. I, you know, um, that's, that's a great question. I think many people who come to this book will, will think that. Um, and um, just to qualify what I was saying earlier, I think many people might come and, you know, especially in the beginning portion and think, oh, this is, um, he means that liberals aren't true Protestants. Because right, he because Union you know, Seminary is liberal seminary. Yes, and and, and so theology. naturally, I spend most of my time talking about that because that's where Bonhoeffer was. Bonhoeffer didn't speak much about um, about fundamentalism at all. He, he didn't think it was really worth talking about, apparently. Um, but it seems to me that um, his criticisms of liberalism can be applied to evangelicals and can be applied to all of us um, almost, almost equally in different ways today. Um, that's, that's something to get into perhaps later. Um, yeah. But my, uh, my narrative, and I, I drew this from Bonhoeffer's papers, um, or it originated in Bonhoeffer's papers and led to a whole line of research. Um, about America is, is this. Um, so it starts all the way back in the 1380s, believe it or not. Obviously. With, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. I mean, what, what good narrative didn't start back in the middle ages and, Let's go. and, and this, and, and folks at home, this explains everything. So this is, this is all you need Buy my book. It's yeah. <laughs> so, 13. Um, who are we talking right. So John Wycliffe um, and his followers who were called the Lollards. Um, so many people might know that Wycliffe um, was, you know, wanted to translate the Bible for the common folk, um, didn't, didn't like the Eucharist, uh, wasn't so keen on that toward the end of his life. What people may not know is that Wycliffe in many ways was a sort of proto-nationalist. Hmm. Um, he wasn't keen on Rome and, and Rome's authority. And so his followers, um, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's a little hazy to me exactly how this relationship worked because the Lollards are uh, his followers and those who came after them are kind of hazy figures too. But um, we know enough to know that they were the sort of people who, um, you know, who said things like wherever two or three are gathered there I am with you right and so we can infer from this this is a bad inference by the way that we don't need the church you know mm -hmm. we don't we you know as long as we have a you know a couple of us together uh, we can pray and you know I, I don't need you know Dave to you know preach to me I, you know I don't need that guidance I can I can do it on my own mm -hmm. right and so they did and this eventually um, became, uh, these, these Lollards, became what's called nonconformity or dissent in England, um, dissenters, uh, people who weren't part of the mainstream Anglican church and said, we're not, we're not having any of that. Um, and so nonconformists um, 
when the English Civil War broke out, um, you know, especially and really even uh, even earlier than the English Civil War, but this is in the, in the 17th century, um, they came to America. Plymouth in in droves yeah, yeah. and yeah. so these uh um you know these puritans it might be better to call them dissenters of right. all kinds of different types you know sure there are some puritans proper in there but a lot but of the puritans in england would have been like oh get out of here these these guys are these guys yeah are too that's right these that's right people. yeah a lot of them were from East Anglia, um, which is in the east side of England, um, southeast. And yeah, it's, it's really fascinating if you dig into this stuff. Um, I, I, was, I was stunned. Um, but in any case, um, it's, it shouldn't surprise us that uh, the Quakers um, and some really odd, uh, from a historical perspective at any rate, forms of Protestant religion cropped up in America. So um, you think about the Millerites who became the Seventh-day Adventists. This is after our revolution, um, but still part of the same stream. Um, the Mormons, um, the Baptists who were a little bit earlier, they were Baptists in England, but you know, I mean, big deal here, right? Um, and so you have all these different sorts of religious forms that really took root in America. Um, and they're focused um, on this idea, this, this whole stream all the way back to Wycliffe. It's focused on the idea of what the Quakers called the inner light. Um, and this took many different forms, but um, I have the spirit is what they, you know, all of these people would say. I um, am, um, you know, I have the doctrine of soul competency, right? In, in Baptist language, that's the priesthood a, for you. of all believers, right? Yeah, the priesthood yeah. of all believers. Um, I, you know, um, I have the spirit. I can interpret the Bible without you, Dave. Um, mm -hmm. I don't. I don't need you to tell me what to, you know, what to think. And and so um, I end up, you know, floating off and, you know, believing. <laughs> all kinds of crazy things yeah and and so we we have done this ever since we've done this ever since and um so if we don't have this community um where um where we guide one another called the church um that's that's formed um by the spirit christians have always said the church is formed by the spirit then we end up, um, you know, needing a new community to belong to. Um, if if God is inspiring me, and you know, I have the Spirit, I don't need to be connected to the church. Then you know, I need another community. That ends up being the nation. Then, and for a whole host of reasons. Um, and so, you know, this that's one of the reasons why I think this sort of Christian nationalism that we're dealing with today. Um, is so dangerous. Um, you know, we could talk about what um, what the left is up to right now as well. Um, but I, I, we should at least make note of that. That I think that there are reasons to be concerned with some of those developments um, on the right. It's so it's so interesting that you say it that way too, and you trace that out for us because. Contemporary Christianity, um, whether it's big box, right, mega church, whatever, but the yeah. the 
the shopping, the voyeuristic kind of side of, of our participation, even in church culture or church life, is ultimately so much voluntarism, right? It is sort of like, I listen to this person, I, I listen to that, I, I watch a little bit of this, and, and that means I am, I am my own pope. I'm, I'm the arbiter. I'm going to be the decider. I'm going to be the interpreter. But I love how you say that because it's so obvious at the core of American sort of don't tread on me-ism, don't tell me what to do-ism, expressive individualism. And yet the connection you're drawing there with, nonetheless, we need community. And everybody oh, knows yeah. that there is an absolute need to belong to some group or tribe or something um, that is just in us and impossible to sort of get away from drives us into another community, uh, this community of, of the nation or the nation state or this community of a political party or a political tribe or with these other kinds of ways of, of, of rallying and centering our life and all these kinds of things. So it almost makes it inevitable, is it true, that if your community isn't the church and you are your own sort of leader in the church, you're your own sort of private authority of, 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 of Christianity, um, that you may be surprised at how much the community of the, the nation that you do ally with or, or the political group that you do ally with really does shape you. Um, oh, yeah. In, against, with, alongside, uh, over the top of, your whatever your views of God may actually be, they become less substantial. They become more like ideas that you privately have. Is that true? That's a great way to put that. I like that. It's a, um, in some ways, this other community is sucking the life out of these, these other ideas. Um, I, I like the language of they become less substantial. Yeah. Um, and this is true no matter... Um, I would say, no matter which tribe you belong to, um, you know, we see uh, people on the left um, with a you know, different vision of America. Uh, we see people on the right um, with a, a vision of America that is um, increasingly difficult for, for me, at least, to, to understand even. Um, but uh, um, yeah, if, if your vision of America is the main thing you're interested in and not the church, then and you're not going to have Bonhoeffer as an ally. Right. Right. <laughs> um, I'm actually just putting together a paper on, uh, on this. And so I, I've um, been, I've been uh, um, listening to podcasts, other podcasts, um, and uh, that one of them, um, Eric Metaxas, who you mentioned earlier, um, I can't stay away from it. Um, and yeah. <laughs> I can't, can't I'm just going to touch the hot stove over and over again. <laughs> a glutton for punishment. Um, I, he, um, he said, and I am going to have to read this to your, your listeners here. This is, um, I, That's good. I, That's a crazy. I can't, can't help it. Um, because it because it's so appropriate. This is a person who wrote the Bonhoeffer biography. Yes. This is a person who claims Bonhoeffer as an ally. Is a person who who seems to be mainstream evangelical. One of our one of our intellects. One of our thinkers. Right. That was how right. he was sort of arrived on the scene, having written the Wilberforce and the Bonhoeffer and some other biographies. Like he became. Oh, he's from Yale, and you know he's he. But he's an evangelical, and 
you know, wow, he's really navigating these things with, you know, with, with balance. And <laughs> Socrates in the city. Yeah, this guy is a major figure. Yeah, yeah. major yeah. figure. And, and, and now what's happening? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening, but, but it sure is interesting. Um, it's, it's interesting to watch the disintegration of this, uh, of this individual who um, would claim Bonhoeffer as an ally. Um, you know, Bonhoeffer said in letters and papers um, that uh, you, know, you can uncover malice, um, but we are defenseless against stupidity. Mm. <laughs> Some people think that what, what's going on here with, with Metaxas is stupidity. Mm. Metaxas isn't stupid though, I don't, I don't think. Right. I, I think his, his original problem is not a lack of intelligence at all. Um, it is a misplaced sense of who his community is. Mm. Um, so you, you'll, you can see this in, uh, um, in some, uh, this is in this paper, I'm just going to pull it up here. So he's interviewing Donald Trump here on November 30th on his radio show. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, he's claimed that Trump won in a landslide. Of course, Trump is, you know, agreeing with this and, you know, um, and the election was rigged, but taxes says, I'd be happy to die in this fight. This is a fight for everything. God is with us. So first of all, it's like, this is everything like, I, I don't think that a U.S. presidential election, no matter how serious is everything. And this, this isn't just a slip of the tongue either, apparently. So um, some days later on his own show, um, he's talking with Charlie Kirk, or rather this is Charlie Kirk's program, sorry. Um, he, he says again that Trump won in a landslide. And then he says, um, all right, Charlie, my attitude is like, so who cares what I can prove in the courts? This, uh, and this being that Trump actually won. This is right. This happened. And I'm going to do anything I can to uncover this evil, this horror. So he's making Trump's victory into an article of faith, um, sort of replacing, um, displacing um, the, uh, you know, our faith in Jesus Christ, I dare say. Um, this is like stealing the heart and soul of America. It's like someone being, is being raped or murdered. This is like that times a thousand. And then he says again, uh, so um, disbelieving that the election was rigged against Trump is equivalent to listening to the voice of the devil. Um, and he says, this is trying to kill the American people. Again, this is everything. Now, I mean, look, you and I, many, many listeners maybe have never even heard his name. Yeah. Let's just say, you and I are like, the reason this is so stunning is not that, I mean, there's many people saying really wild things right now, right? Sure. For example. Um, like there's a lot going on out there, right? And there's always going to be people who say anything, right? They'll all say all sorts. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. The reason you and I are stunned, and the reason this is such a perfect example, is this is a mainstream evangelical leader who is not stupid, who yeah. has who has evolved over the last few years 
in in a public way more and more aggressively right as you say this is not a slip of the tongue this is a platform this is a rallying cry this is a an appeal to people right this is a a pleading uh you know position of of absolute conviction and faith and and i remember him visiting my seminary to to give a talk on bonhoeffer yeah (laughs) him you know being billed it's like, oh, you know, you got Tim Keller, you got Metaxas, you got, you know, you got you got these like reasonable, you know, intellects who are in the mix here, trying to, you know, keep the gospel central, but being able to, to be a part of the secular landscape of academic stuff. And I mean, this is how strange and wild this transformation is. This is not a nobody and this is not a fringe sort of character figure and yet that's exactly what he's become and and I think what you're trying to say is there is something I mean he says it himself if this is everything then something other than the church is at the heart of this commitment and this formation and that and that thing is you're suggesting is sort of a classic American thing which is my real community then is going to be my politics or my yeah. my, my my understanding of my political tribes and affiliation because i i am fine on my own with christian things and i and god i'm on god's side god's on my side for sure god is on my side yeah um, and I don't have, you know, I mean, I don't see anywhere where he has a pastor who is vouching for him where he is, right? Like, I don't see any of those things where there is any kind of authority in his life in a spiritual sense of leadership, direction, whatever. Um, and and yet, like, for Christians, like, you know, that would be one of the first things I would ask is, well, wait a minute, who, where do you go to church? Like, who is your pastor? Can, can people speak to your life? And your character is like what's happening here how do we account for you how like what is the criteria of of what you're saying how do we where do we put this um but as you're saying there's something from the founding of our our nation that is in the i have the spirit i have the inner light no one can really tell me uh how to think about these things that i can read this on my own interpret it on my own but nonetheless i need a community and I will find a community, and I have found a community, and it is, it is much more of a blood and soil kind of community. In fact, I'm willing to die for it, right? Yeah. I'm willing to give my life for this fight, which as you say, is surely not the fight of Christ. There's no, no gate of hell that will prevail against the church. Like we don't, <laughs> we don't need to be worried about, <laughs> about, about the church making it. Right? That's right. Um, so yeah. you're you're drawing a, a strong connection, and then I mean the ironies are just too many to name for the biographer of a Bonhoeffer, you know. Uh, um, Ugh, yeah. But you're you're saying, look, one of the things Bonhoeffer sees here is is a, a there's a Protestantism without Reformation, a a land without Reformation. So what do you mean then by Reformation? What do you mean mm-hmm. by the absence of that thing that maybe from his own German Lutheran perspective would have expected to see the literally the heart of the Reformation, the the, the Luther moment, right? The Lutheran strain of that tradition of, of Protestantism. Um, he is seeing something that did not happen. And, and what is that thing that did not happen then? 
That's a great question. And um, I think this is one of the reasons why we should read Bonhoeffer, why, why everybody should read Bonhoeffer. Um, that, um, that reformation is a reforming of our community life around the gospel. It's a politics of the gospel. Um, and that isn't going to happen in the nation. You know, as uh, um, the theologian Stanley Hauerwas has, has taught us in the last generation, you know, we need uh, the church to be the church because, uh, you know, the world is going to be the world. We're not going to stop the world from being the world. It's going to keep worlding <laughs> uh, no matter what we do. Um, and, you know, we just need to continue being the church. Now, um, Bonhoeffer agrees with this, and this language actually comes from Bonhoeffer originally, um, comes from Bonhoeffer's ethics, uh, his book Ethics. Um, but um, so where does this leave us with regard to public things? That's, a, that's another question. Right. And um, so... Um, say, but, oh, well, Joel's an Anabaptist, so you've retreated from the world, right? I mean, you, you've retreated from involvement. You won't even take an oath. You couldn't serve in any office. <laughs> you are anti-government. No wonder you have this perspective on Bonhoeffer on America, right? <laughs> yeah. You're not involved in, in the life of the world anymore, Joel. You're not involved in the real nitty gritty of day to day things. I've put on my bonnet and, um, um, yeah. <laughs> plug your, your electrical. <laughs> It's like uh, in that Weird Al song from the you know the Gangster's Paradise rendition. <laughs> yeah. yeah, an understanding then of what you're saying. Uh, you're talking about being the church, but it's not in the sense of retreat. In fact, as you'll uh, no doubt steer us next, Bonhoeffer returns to Germany after this American sort of visit in order to be involved in the life of everything going on there, even though it is going very badly and dangerously. So, so you are not talking about a retreat from the life of our neighbor, political realities. What are you talking right. about? In fact, um, Bonhoeffer says that far from there being two spheres of church and world, I'm going to give you a, th a $3 German word, um, Eigensetzlichkeit, um, autonomy. Um, so, write that down. <laughs> it's that that's what they're paying me the big bucks for there. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so uh, th this idea of, of the church and world being autonomous spheres in which they, they never touch, um, which some Anabaptists have gotten into this, this place, unfortunately, mm. that's not what Bonhoeffer's up to at all. Um, that's he, he says instead that um, Christ is Lord of the world. And he says this throughout his, his works. He's not um, just Lord of the church and letting the world go to hell. That's not what's happening at all. Instead, there is one reality and one God. Um, what uh, sort of weighs the world down is just sin, right? Uh, it's just exactly what we would expect. Um, you know, if we're thinking in terms of traditional you know, Christian thinking, um, it's, it's sin. It's that they're, they're, um, not being reformed, you know, inwardly and communally by the gospel. And so, um, 
what, you know, what does it mean to prepare the way, um, you know, for the gospel to come to the world? What, what does it, what does it mean for us and, you know, Bonhoeffer's mind to do that? Um, it means to have certain um, forms of life, I guess, in the world and, you know, try to keep those, um, you know, uh, intact. So marriage, um, government, work, um, having these things, um, being healthy and being as they should, um, this prepares the way for the gospel. It doesn't mean the gospel will come. The gospel can come to people in any circumstance, um, you know, whatever, um, that's, you know, there is no, uh, you know, the worst circumstances are no impediment to God. Um, but people can hear the gospel or more likely to hear the gospel, um, usually according to Bonhoeffer, when these modes of life um, that uh, God intended are, are in, um, are intact, so to speak. Um, Does he then see, I mean, this, I mean, I know just, and you probably as well, you know, even from a brief exile from, you know, America overseas for a little bit, maybe maybe you've had more than one of those, but um, just even living uh, in Ireland for a year, which is not a lot of time, but it changed and sharpened so many of the things that I saw about where I'd come from and things that the, the places, the assumptions that I'd made, all sorts of things, right? It was a it was very eye-opening, um, even if it wasn't some dramatic cultural shift, right? And we're still sort of vaguely Western European, whatever, right? Like, I mean, you know, it was it wasn't, you know, we all watched similar movies and everything else. Yeah. But it was still just having that little distance across the water, like was 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 kind of startling, you know, is to say, oh my gosh, like just the the way in which things are put into relief, even by that kind of distance or exile. Um, to sharpen where, or even just the canopy of assumptions, or the the, the cultural sort of vibe, or the water, or the milieu that you know people just normally operate in, the assumptions that we make day to day without even thinking about it. Um, I know what that did just for me, not even you know being any person of consequence, doing anything of maybe much consequence. But like for Bonhoeffer, you know, I mean, he is he is already well-established, double doctored, right? Like, I mean, double dissertated at least. Um, and, and so he has this experience in America, maybe sets a lot in some sh sharp contrast to his life in Germany. Um, does that impel something? Does that shift something? Does is it really to say that his his time here seems to be decisive for him? It's one thing to say, oh boy, like look at what is or is not happening here. I can see this place clearly as an outsider, right? But is it is it true or is it overstated to say that he he gains something or experiences something here that then sends him back differently to Germany it, it, just at the moment of Hitler's rise and everything else. Um, mm. Is it a decisive chapter in his life in the way he sees things? Much is made of it. You are an expert. I mean, you're the, the scholar on this chapter in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think it magnified things he had already seen, sharpened things, deepened conviction, changed or challenged anything? Well, um, 
that is not as straightforward as one might think. Um, that's I I suspect um, it's it's very often claimed that Bonhoeffer's encounter with the Black Church. Um, specifically with Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem um, was uh, central to his decision to uh, resist, you know, the Nazis and to uh, take part in the conspiracy and the July 20th plot and whatnot. Um, I I think it's not a straight line. Um, I, I do think... Um, I do think that Bonhoeffer learned, as he said in letters and papers, uh, to think about um, people in terms of, um, you know, at least partly in terms of what they've suffered. Um, and not to discount that, um, not to you know, look at the other um, simply as other, um, but... Um, and I, th I think in some ways he began thinking about that um, because of what he saw in Harlem um, and because of what African-Americans were suffering. Um, and so there, there, is, um, there is a change there. I think that Adam Clayton Powell Sr., um, who was the, the pastor there when he came, um, was part of that change. Powell used the old language of Jesus as ideal. Um, he, uh, you know, went to Yale, if I remember correctly. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he was a, um, not a, you know, not a conservative. He did have certain evangelical sensibilities though. And, um, and those sensibilities were all, were, you know, around him were really, um, putting the gospel at the center of his life. Mm. Um, and so I think Bonhoeffer um, saw that. He saw the gospel really preached in this church. And um, there's something about um, seeing the gospel preached to the oppressed, hearing, hearing it preached um, and enacted by the oppressed that changes you. Um, I've, I've experienced a bit of that in rural El Salvador, uh, in a community called Valle Nuevo. Um, that I think is, you know, that exile was even briefer than your, than yours in Ireland. Uh, it was only a couple of weeks, um, or less than what, 10 days, something like that. Um, and it changed me, um, you know, being with these people, worshiping with them, um, you know, staying with them and seeing how, you know, they're, they're regular people as well, but they, they also, many of them have vibrant faith um, and uh, pre-critical faith, I would say. They believe the word um, and, um, and they, are, they are oppressed. Um, these, they are oppressed by people in their own country, by internationals, um, have little going for them and little way to change it. And um, yet there is a contentedness um, in the spirit that is powerful and convicting for me. Mm. Um, I think that Bonhoeffer probably experienced something similar. That's interesting. And, and I also, just to pick up with 
one of these threads. Um, you know, you said this thing about the church, about the, the need for some community somewhere, but we also opened with talking about how little churched Bonhoeffer was. Yeah. So is, it, is, it, is it true to say that for Bonhoeffer, that it, the community that maybe he grew up in was this aristocratic community of certain kinds of responsibilities to society, sort of a vague, um, but, you know, good um, kind of view of civic responsibility engagement, but elitist in that sense. Mm -hmm. But a, but a very strong community, aristocratic, you know, uh, you know, tradition, family, this kind of thing. Um, does that change to become his community as the church when he comes back from Germany after experiencing um, the Abyssinian Baptist Church? But everything you're, you, you've, you've outlined for us about uh, some of the challenges or issues with American Protestantism uh, also seem to apply to him directly in his yeah. Um, where is his community if it, if it isn't the church and he is thinking all these things on his own as this independent theological agent, um, why wouldn't he be just as easily formed either by the nation state conceived of, you know, through national socialism or by the nation state conceived of through the aristocratic uh, old guard of, of his family? Um, so so mm -hmm. is there a dramatic shift to him being and considering himself as a part of the church at, at this kind of critical juncture? Yeah, I think, um, I think that I'll, I'll answer that by saying yes and no. Um, the transition began before that with him reading Karl Barth. And he really um, had, you know, he wanted to bring Karl Barth to America in, in a number of ways. Um, and um, so I think Barth was an influence. The, the second influence in his life was, was, I think, Abyssinian that drew him in that direction. Um, and thirdly, there was a mysterious sort of experience that he seems to have had sometime after he came back, 1931 perhaps. Um, he writes a letter to his cousin uh, talking about this experience. And um, he speaks in that letter um, interestingly, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but um, about how he had used uh, academia, um, the gospel um, in, in, you know, in preaching, because um, he, he was drawn to, to the pastorate as well. And he, he was increasingly drawn to the pastorate rather than academia. Um, but he, he realized um, that he'd been using the gospel for, you know, just selfish gain. Um, you know, I'm, you know, listening to you know, how many people were in church on Sunday, you know, I mean, uh, how many people were at my lecture, you know, on Monday. Um, and there was um, a change that we can't really account for. Um, and um, he describes this by saying the theologian became a Christian. Mm. Um, and I don't know that we should should think of it in terms of a dramatic, um, uh, you know, altar call kind of conversion. But he realized that God was, you know, was calling him to lay down his life um, in, in the terms that he would later express in discipleship. Um, and so when, um, when he lost his position at the University 
after um, in 33, after the Nazis came to power, um, he went and pastored two churches in London. And then he came back and started the illegal seminary at Finkenwalde in order to try to, um, you know, help these young guys um, lead the church, you know, when the church had been so poisoned in so many ways. Um, and, and the German, so the German Christian church, um, I mean, in pretty early days, uh, becomes one with or or sort of helps baptize sort of the nazi party the rise of yeah. hitler um you know all the all the now unbelievably disturbing sort of footage of you know of swastikas draped over crosses and of priests shaking the hands and and uh and seek heiling as hitler walks past or is in their company um but there was an absolute crisis in that a huge portion of the german church turned nationalist in its mm -hmm. devotion and uh and then sacrificing the gospel in that devotion to to someone who was calling for sort of germany to be a, a nation of of the proud again right after world war one mm -hmm. after the, the catastrophe for them of versailles um after the sense of being wronged and beleaguered um crawling out of a, a moment of being of feeling crushed or or um or sort of left out of <laughs> a major turning point in europe's life um and then and then so hitler has this tremendous appeal to sort of lower class populism um kind of thing also to sort of uh, more elite or higher business class interests of Germany getting back on its feet and industrial sectors kind of being restored and all these kinds of things. Um, and the church is swept into that uh, early days. Um, and Bonhoeffer, when he returns then, it's not very long before he is acknowledged that there is a crisis of confession, right? A crisis yes. of what are we if we are German Christians? And it needs to get a lot clearer really quickly uh, there needs to be some kind of thing to distinguish, to discern, because so much of German Christian uh, sort of institutional life has become completely compromised or, or, or delusional or something else. Is that yeah, right? I think that's I think that's well said. Yeah. Bonhoeffer used the reformational or I guess post-reformational Lutheran term uh, status confessionis. Um, and so this is a situation where you've got to stand up and do something or say something because the gospel's on the line. Um, and in, in the case of, um, of uh, the Aryan paragraph, one of the first anti-Jewish measures um, that, that came down the pike, and then they, of course, just continued <laughs> um, to come down the pike, Bonhoeffer um, said, the gospel is on the line. This was specifically with regard to the church. Um, the uh, the idea of forcing Jewish pastors out, um, of having separate churches where um, Jews Jewish Christians and so these are these are baptized Jewish Christians and Gentiles are worshiping separately. This was a violation, a fundamental violation of the gospel as Paul saw it. Right. Um, and, you know, this should have been obvious to them. It should have been totally clear to, to the, you know, 
Germans, you know, these German Christians. And we're sitting here like, how could they not see this? How could, how on earth could they have missed this? It, I, you know, I've read Paul, I, you know, you've read Paul, what, what's, what's going on here? How could these theologians and pastors have missed this? And they missed it because their community had become the nation. Um, and they were so angry because of what had been done to their community, to their people. It was the, it was an, a sort of ebbing away. How, how was the, uh, um, I forget the language you used earlier, Dave, but it, it was um, a sort of sapping um, of the, the substance of their Christian faith over time um, and putting it into the life of the nation. Right. Yeah. And then, so then does he, is he a leader at that moment? Does he have, does he have voice to make uh, these kinds of statements? I know Bart is still very much involved in this moment um, of, of clarifying things with the, so the Barman declaration, does this come as a response to the Aryan paragraph to, to this unbelievable segregation of the church itself? It does. Yeah. And Bonhoeffer, um, he, he actually was somewhat unsatisfied uh, with that. And later the Bethel Confession came out. Um, he, he wanted a more uh, um, substantial statement in a number of ways. Um, it was pretty substantial. So Bonhoeffer, you might say in this regard, um, would have appeared to um, many people in, in Germany at that point as being on the far left um, with regard to the Jewish issue, he he would have been um, on the uh, on the far left, um, and which is interesting uh, for us. Um, but he wanted, um, yeah, he wanted to uh, to dispense, if at all possible, with all of this, uh, you know, this anti-Semitic talk. There there are um, discussions to be had about certain of his writings. He has been himself accused of anti-Semitism. This is how thoroughly um, this kind of thinking had infected the German church. I think that um, it's probably unwise to, in the end, um, let that accusation stick. I've done some writing about that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, th this sort of nationalism, uh, this sort of devotion to the the German community went real deep. Um, and Bonhoeffer was, um, uh, was not in a position to do much about it. Um, he, he often, he's, you know, like so many people that we know, you know, he talked a big game uh, about his connections. And I, I think this is just how he grew up, right? You know, you, you value all these connections in this, you know, aristocratic high-flying environment. Uh, but he, he really didn't have the, um, the power that it might seem from some of his letters. Um, it's, uh, but in any case, yeah. But the formation then, uh, so is his act then of sort of Finkenwalde and this illegal seminary, I mean, it's a commitment to building, rebuilding, surviving. It's, it's a commitment to the church in, in the formation of pastors, right? I mean, that's what this Absolutely. little group is. And, and it is illegal in the sense that he is now sort of what officially not a part of the national church. Yeah. And he's engaged in things that, that, that are not allowed or allowable as far as what he is teaching, saying, um, 
training these pastors in. Um, so is Fink involved in maybe then his, his, what he can do then is, is this local, it's very small, um, you know, um, this group of people who, who are church people, who are pastors, who, who agree that something has gone terribly wrong and that there needs to be a different way uh, forward through this. Uh, and maybe on the other side, maybe to prepare for whatever is on the other side of this. Um, is Fink and Valda uh, decisive in any way or is it, I mean, it's decisive maybe in his, his life, um, yeah. but, but were there many of these kinds of things? Was this like, was this a, a thing that happened that there, there was just a bunch of illegal seminaries started popping up as resistance cells? That's a great question. I, I don't know how, um, how common that was. Um, I don't think there were many of them. Um, about them being some kind of thing that was going on. You don't yeah. things happening like this. But I take your point that he is not, He's not the Bonhoeffer we think of him as when oh, no. like the great martyr and all this kind of stuff. Um, he is he's a guy. <laughs> he's he's a smart he's guy. He's a dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he is trying to navigate these things very much in the in the midst of them. Um, so at Finkenwalder, when he when he does form this, this seminary, um, very small, um, he this is where he is this where he sort of assembles what we think of as sort of as one of his major works or as the, at least the ones we're familiar with? You mentioned Life Together, um, which is phenomenal and accessible and something everyone should read and, and uh, probably many people have. Um, but does Life Together, are there other things that come out of that season? Yeah, actually. Uh, so Discipleship um, is, was originally compiled from, you know, starting with some of these lectures that he gave at Finkenwalde. And uh, Life Together is written um, just sort of in the aftermath, after, oh. after the seminary had closed. So with, with all of this in mind. Um, and yeah, I, I think um, those, are, those are the two major works from this period that we should be aware of. Um, there are other volumes. Um, so the Dietrich Bonhoeffer works English, uh, from Fortress Press has, um, has, you know, lectures, sermons from this period. Um, they, they have, uh, I think, I think the volume from this period is like a thousand pages long. It's, it's huge. Um, it's, it's enormous. Um, yeah, but, uh, um, but there, there's a lot. There's, there's much that's good to read in there. There, um, there are uh, lectures about, um, you know, typology, Old Testament typology, and reading, you know, reading the Bible in, in ways that were quite different from his colleagues. Um, and I think these thoughts came to him because he was thinking about how do I form the church in light of God's word, and and that was. That was it. He was thinking, you know, um, that that's my task. I, you know, I'm I've lost my my position. Um, you know, I can't be a um, I'm not going to be a pastor in uh, in Germany. Um, I'm not going to be a professor in Germany. Um, this isn't going to work. What am I going to do? Um, you know, I'm going to do what I can you know, with the talents that I have and, you know, with what God is, is where God has put me to 
you know, help form his church in this time. And so interestingly, he's not out there picketing. Um, you know, he's not out there with a sign in his hand, not to say that that's you know, wrong or anything. Sometimes that might be the right thing to do, but, but that wasn't his first thought. His, his first thought, um, and, you know, the one that, you know, that he really carried out was, I'm going to go use these, you know, my education and my background to teach people how to be church. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that, that we would do that too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what I love about, you know, so, so often academia falls prey to all the stereotypes of, of, you know, you're writing for five other people who will ever read this, that, or the other thing. And, and you just sort of, you know, you deal with that and you live in kind of your own world and, and, and it's an interesting world as far as it goes, but, but it is its own little world. And it, and it, and there's a lot of sort of, uh, you know, imaginary, uh, language and <laughs> jargon, uh, that, uh, you know, the average person neither needs nor wants, you know? <laughs> um, but, but what I love about, the work that you did um, is is how how easily it it speaks to um, the place that we find ourselves. And I, you know, some people can try to do work that is relevant, right? And try to say, okay, I'm going to try to kind of catch the the lip of the wave of some trend of some theory that's going through at the time or whatever. Um, but I know how long PhDs take, and I know how long books take to write. You know, at least. I have a pretty yeah. good sense. Um, and to me, it's, it strikes me that your work has, as you were doing it, become increasingly um, of import and relevance and, and value as not only a subject of historical curiosity, I'm sure people have said to you, how, why would we need another Bonhoeffer book? Oh, yeah. uh, right? I mean, this is not an, a, an obscure figure at this point. Um, he's been claimed by everyone for everything, everywhere, um, and yet, and yet, just this conversation that we've had, I mean, it just seems like in that way, the Lord using your skills, your interests, your talents um, to bring forth the work of scholarship that could not be more of the moment, and and it is a difficult and confusing moment in which there is not a lot of leadership. There are, there, there are not a lot of uh, figures that have come through this well or seem to be even surviving this with <laughs> gospel integrity, as we've mentioned in part. I mean, it's been a time of exposure. It's been a time of, of, of judgment of, of the very things you're talking about, the, the, the formation of an alternate community that is the nation rather than the church and, and the idolatry and the confusion and the the malformations that that leads to whether anyone realized it at the moment or it just the fruit the fruit shows um it just it strikes me that i, I don't know it just strikes me of, of the lord putting you in a place to do uh difficult slow isolating work on your own for many years um but that you know this book this conversation it feels like it's 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 the kind of thing we really need to be looking at thinking through and that Bonhoeffer is is positioned in such a parallel universe of so many trends you know without being shrill without shrieking without you know trying to cast about for you know a new Hitler and all these kinds of things right. like 
I know that's the temptation, but it's a, it's a sloppy, easy temptation uh, on, in some obvious ways. And yet, you know, human beings in the way the heart is organized, these ideas of what is our primary community? What is, what is shaping us? Who is shaping us? Our, our allegiances. I mean, what a word, right? I mean, what I, yeah. you know, somebody asked me the other day, like, what, what are you? Like, why are you still, <laughs> why are you still, you know, here or there? Like what? And, and I wanted to say, you know, I'm an Anabaptist Wesleyan. You know, like, I don't, I don't know what to, like, you know, like, I, 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 like everything that you are talking about, every the similar kinds of people, if I were to name the top three people who have shaped me uh, in the theological world, it would probably be Bonhoeffer, Wesley, and Hauerwas. Yeah. And it would be because of, in, in part, what you were saying, like, I want to just be a churchman. I want to, I want to be figuring out how to be the church, how to be a Christian involved in the formation of people's souls so that they do not have the wrong community or belonging at their heart, but they have a chance of, of seeing and knowing Christ in this life in a way that he has, he has given himself um, to be known. And, and it's not hyper-academic, uh, even though we've traveled those paths. It, and Bonhoeffer did himself, um, but it's the thing. It's the, <laughs> it, that's the everything, right? Like that—that that is the everything that everything is about. Amen. Um, yeah. What, what would you? I mean, if you were to say, so if someone's listening to this, and I don't know if they—I don't know if they would be. I think they would just be interested. To me, one of the, vantage, the advantages of history is it already happened, right? It's not like, well, Joel has an opinion about things, you know? It's like, well, I'm sure he does, but there is also just things that have happened. That's <laughs> <And> right. <laughs> I think properly done, properly looked at, history is this, this objective space of, it's not about your tribe or my tribe or some other thing. It's wow like look at look at what has happened in the recent past of our of our sort of sphere of life the world uh, the concerns of christianity like look at this and then if we were surely to gain something from it some of them are obvious lessons some more subtle um what would you say has been your major or one of your major takeaways having spent this time with bonhoeffer you know, you've been formed by other things in other places, but yeah. what would you say has been a grounding thing for you in, in this time with, with Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life and work? Well, um, I have traditionally been very reticent to draw um, uh, lessons um, political lessons from, from Bonhoeffer, other than what, we, what we've talked about, um, that the politics of the church are, are always supposed to be central for us. Um, so I, I guess um, what I've learned um, in, especially in the last five years or so in, in my own community and in, in other communities um, is just how 
easy it is to lose our focus um, and to, um, you know, to, to end up um, being formed in other ways. I think this is especially true in today's world. Um, you know, the, uh, we've, we've talked about, um, you know, the, the madness that's happening on the right right now. Um, and, you know, these are evangelicals, you know, euangelion is the, is the Greek word. These are gospel people. Um, and yet they seem to be being formed by something that's not the gospel. Um, I, I think in many ways, liberals are just a mirror image of that. They're, they're, um, they're, you know, they have a, a different uh, type of formation, a different sort of vision of community. But again, it, this isn't um, the community formed um, by the teachings of Jesus and, and by the person of Jesus, you know, the community that's been gathered by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I, uh, when I say that, I, I have increasingly thought I need to look to myself um, and how am I being misformed? Um, you know, what is my, you know, what is my prayer life like? Um, is it non-existent? You know, is it, a? um, am, am I, um, just caught up on Twitter in the mornings? Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll sit down to pray and find that I've been on Twitter for 15 minutes <laughs> and, you know, I've been answering different, you know, messages and I think, what am I doing? You know, and I sit down and, you know, um, I think about sort of thinking about the day rather than praying and, you know, or I read the Bible, you know, for, you know, academic purposes. Um, I think some pastors, you know, for instance, you know, read the Bible in order to get their sermon for Sunday and they can be great preachers and inspiring and, you know, um, fantastic, you know, leaders in many ways, but, um, you know, I, I need um, that uh, to realize what, you know, what's important. And, you know, and we all need those pastors who are um, not looking for the flashiest sermon, but looking for the center, right? So I, I think that is, is what I have learned um, during these years of, of researching Bonhoeffer. Dr. Joel Luper, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Very glad I could be here. That's our time, my friends. If you would like to support the podcast, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And if you would like even more content and to become a patron of the podcast, head on over to FromBabylonWithLove.com, click on Newsletter, and sign up there. Until then, many thanks to producer Zach Leach for all the twists and turns, and to Lonesome and Muddy, the only house band that'll survive the apocalypse. This has been From Babylon with Love.